For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is the Haunted Halloween Arizona Spotlight. It's time to light up the jack-o'-lantern, turn up the radio, and grab another handful of candy. We've got a collection of seasonal stories designed to thrill and chill. Don't be afraid. It's only the 14th annual Haunted Halloween Arizona Spotlight. This time of year, Tucson's cultural mix allows us to enjoy the very different flavors of Halloween, Dio de los Muertos, and All Souls Day, each honored in their own way. One warm October evening, Adiba Nelson talked with some visitors at the El Mercado San Agustin about their seasonal memories. Start with your name. Charlene Mendoza. You did Halloweens here as a Yes. What is your favorite memory, like a Halloween treat that you've had? Oh my goodness. I have a big family. Okay. And our favorite treat was the making and giving, so we did popcorn balls. We would have so much fun popping the popcorn, and then we used usually melted marshmallows and probably other things I don't want to think about to make it all stick together. Uh, we got to use food coloring sometimes to make them interesting Halloween colors. Um, probably ate way too many of them um, and handed those out at the door too. I've never had a popcorn ball in my entire life. <laughs> They're unique. I'm not sure they were very good, but they were very fun. Okay. I remember trick-or-treating and there was one house that had popcorn balls. <laughs> and it was like a very scary house, so it was extra fun. Did you fun. like the popcorn? Or you're like, what is this? Maybe both. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and how about you, Mom, when you were growing up? I think it was pre-worrying so much. There was always that mom in the neighborhood who made taffy apples. So there was like the homemade really special thing. And then other than that, you always fought over who could get the chocolate with the most nuts in it. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you? Do you have a favorite Halloween candy? Hay un dulce que te gusta mucho? A lollipop. A lollipop. <laughs> you okay with flavor? Strawberry. That's a good one. That's a good one. Now, how about like the Halloween tricks? Like, you're like, what is this? Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> Get any of those? I remember getting raisins once. I don't know. <laughs> That's as bad as it gets. That's as bad as it gets. Yeah, that's pretty awful. That's pretty awful. But I like candy in my bag. <laughs> I yeah. like candy in my bag too, Rafi. How old are you, bud? Three. You're three? Okay. What are you going to dress up as this year? Uh, huh? Maddie Pickles. You're going to be a Maddie Very cool. <laughs> With lots of colors on your wings? Yeah. So let me start with just asking you, what's your name? Sam. Ava. So are you native to Tucson? No. Where are you all from? I live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Spokane, Washington. What was the best treat you ever got when you were a kid? Probably a full-size Hershey's cookies and cream candy bar. Well, that sounds good. Probably a Mr. Good bar of some kind. What would be the worst trick someone could give you? <laughs> Here's a question. Are hauntings good for the economy? A paranormal dividend? Next, Samantha Larned takes a closer look at some of the economics of ghost tourism.
this is the room. Hotel Congress is one of many supposedly haunted locations here in southern Arizona. And with so many spirits abound, the state has become home to a number of successful attractions based around them. The room we're sitting in right now is 242, which is the room we, for many years, did not want to rent out because it had that almost shining vibe to it. The gal who was here came to a end at her own hands, and the thought was that she never actually left. David Slutz is the entertainment director of Hotel Congress. He's worked there for 26 years and says that only recently has the hotel embraced its haunted status. We didn't used to advertise. In fact, we downplayed it for a while because we thought it hurt business. <laughs> but it turns out it helps business. Slutz says that there are people who come to the hotel because of the ghost story surrounding it. Some even request to stay in the haunted rooms. Though, whether or not they last the entire night is another question. One of my favorites was they said, oh, we want that room 242. This is a few years ago. And I can still remember I had to run the front desk that night. And the gentleman comes down at 4 in the morning and goes, <laughs> I have to leave, I have to leave. Why? I'm not sure. <laughs> it was almost as if it was in The Shining. They got such a bad feeling in this room. They thought they wanted to stay here, and they really didn't. Slutz says that the hotel has become more popular as it's been featured on paranormal investigation shows. And though Hotel Congress does not see a particular time of year that haunted rooms are in higher demand, they do host a spirited event on the third floor throughout the month of October. The Hotel Congress seance experience is in its third year, and according to Slutz, has been selling out many of its performances. The seance is the first thing we've I'd hate even see monetize it because we don't really make much money on it, but we've allowed that as a marketable thing. Only recently turned around and, and not tried to diminish, but said, no, absolutely, we're a haunted hotel. Things happen here. It's one of those places. If you believe in that, well, we're definitely one of those then. Haunted hotels are also a mainstay attraction in Bisbee, Arizona, home to the Old Bisbee Ghost Tour. On the Old Bisbee Ghost Tour, we go inside two haunted hotels, and the owners seem to really appreciate it because guests will hear the stories, they'll see the inside, and then if they want to, the next time they come to Bisbee, they will book a room there. It's like a preview of where you could be staying. That's Renee Harper, the owner of the Old Bisbee Ghost Tour. That includes the historic Ghost Walk, the Paranormal Experience Tour, and the Haunted Pub Crawl. Harper has been guiding tours in Bisbee for 15 years, seven days a week, year-round. The company has had nearly 2,000 bookings and a total of 5,388 guests this year alone. And that was only halfway through its busiest time of year. Without a doubt, October, not only uh, because of fall break, but also because of Halloween. March is our second busiest month, and that's because it's spring break. Halloween is also when the tours see more guests from closer to home. It's mostly tourists. This time of year, we'll get more locals versus more tourists. Harper says that a lot of people come to Bisbee for the ghost tours, and from there they explore the area and other local businesses. In addition to making local hotels destinations, the Old Bisbee Ghost Tour has a partnership with the hotels, and by making a reservation through them, guests receive a discount on the tours, which Harper says is good for everyone. As for why people are attracted to these haunted sites and experiences, Harper has her own theory. I think a lot of people, they like the unknown. They want to try to figure out for themselves what happens after we die. And everybody likes to be scared. And 
a lot of people do it because they like the history and it's kind of like a macabre history. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Samantha Larned. The secrets of every monster on Earth can be found in folklore. Their origins, their motives, their needs. Sometimes, most importantly, how to destroy them. Brenda and Orchidia met because they are each accomplished scholars, but it's their shared love of horror that led them to start a podcast called Monstrous in 2018. Their research and storytelling explores the world of Latin American folklore, looking for the scary stuff. I asked them about how horror came to be in their lives, why Latin America is such a rich source of imaginative stories, and how some monsters have transformed through time. Hi, my name is Orquide Morales. I'm an assistant professor of the School of Theater, Film, and Television at the University of Arizona, and I'm one of the co-hosts of the Monstras podcast. Hi, my name is Brenda Salguero, and I'm a program manager. I'm also a co-host of Monstras, and so yeah, I'm excited to be here. My love for horror started with folklore, and one of my aunts would do curanderismo and brujeria, uh, witchcraft, so she would look read tarot cards and uh, do spells and all that sort of stuff. Her business was in her house, and I was always at her house, so people were always coming in and being like, I need so-and-so to fall in love with me, and she would light some candles, and then they would go on their way. So for me, like what things that are considered horrific felt common. Like I never felt horror wasn't a part of my life or was something I had to hide. We don't make a living off most of us, but it has allowed us to kind of explore how much we can do with horror and how many different audiences we can reach with it. Uh, a lot of people that don't watch the genre like the podcast because they're interested in like the history or whatever. Yeah, I would say it's the same thing. It has always been part of my life and it hasn't been something that like I had to hide also. It's part of my personality. It's part of who I am. And I don't overtly look like someone who likes horror. <laughs> I'm not gothic, but I do have subtle things in my house. I'm a huge true crime aficionado. And horror to me is just another way to see the world and that horrible um, aspect of humanity and to dissect it, but also to do it in kind of a safer way. So my parents are from El Salvador and they grew up in a really horrific time. And so I grew up with stories about their childhood and what they went through. So to me, that was real life. Like horror was a part of our history and our part of our experience in life. And so I don't find horror being something that's separate from me, if that makes sense. I think there's different levels of horror too. You know, I don't like gore. Like, I'm not going to watch gory things. I was watching VHS recently, and there was one scene in one of the movies where someone breaks their leg, and it keeps zooming in on the leg. And I'm like, I can handle it, but I also was like, huh, like, I don't need to see this over and over and over again. A lot of people have different levels of, of horror and what they like and what they're comfortable with. Because I have friends who will not touch it at all, won't watch it. And I wonder if it's just an empathy thing. Like, are people more empathetic? And I'm just a monster. Like, I don't know. <laughs> My boyfriend didn't like horror movies at all. And his name is Damien. He's named after the, the character in The Exorcist. So his mom obviously liked horror movies. We started watching horror together. And what I did was I, I asked him, okay, what do you find terrifying? And he said, okay, this sort of stuff. Okay, we'll start with other types of horror. So he can watch campy horror with me all day, every day. 
But a year ago, so we watched Creep and it's all about a stalker. So it's all human monsters that freaked him out. He had nightmares. So it's about finding those limits and that balance in my experience, right? Because I think Brenda's right. Like we all have different positionalities and starting points. So horror looks different for all of us. And it's just finding the entryway. It's such a friendly genre considering what it is, but it is such a friendly and welcoming genre that has a place for all types of audiences. I think it has to do with how horrible the history of Latin America has been. That has created a, an insane breeding ground for horrifying creatures because a lot of the creatures come from the true horror that a lot of people have experienced from colonialism, from uh, genocide, from slavery, civil war, civil unrest. All those things have been happening and have been going on for 600 years since the Spanish, freaking Spanish. <laughs> But yeah, and, and so that's why I think it, it makes it a fertile ground for horror. It's the same in the U.S. I know there's some like Native Studies scholars that talk about how for Indigenous peoples, apocalypse and horror films would look different because the apocalypse already happened. Colonization and conquest was a form of, of cultural apocalypse for a lot of Indigenous communities in, in the whole Americas. So it's just like, yeah, all right, we've seen that. What's next? And I, I think that that does provide interest in the topic and also just um, a nuanced understanding of monsters, how easily we can be seen as monsters if we don't fit in to certain categories. So I think that that makes the monsters, for example, La Llorona, so flexible, right? She's a monster that reflects these fears of interracial marriages and babies, right? And now it's a, an icon that's being used by women that are trying to get the government uh, to help them find their lost children. So it, it just, it morphs based on our fears and our needs. Unfortunately, that makes sense in places that have dark histories. There's blood in the soil is essentially what I like to think about it is that's what Latin America has. Speaking of, of soil, I'm also thinking of the geography. The vast geography of Latin America also makes it a great fertile ground for horror because I remember my mother telling me how dark things were there. It's super dark. There's not a lot of electricity. Again, it has to do with infrastructure. But when I went, when I was a child, there was no electricity. Everything was just by candlelight. It's scary to look out and, and just see complete pitch blackness, you know? It's a jungle. You know that there's nothing out there, really. So what is out there? The reason these monsters are so flexible or now so fluid is because now more people have a voice in how they're portrayed. So I think you're right. Like, monsters are so fascinating and can be heroic or something we look up to because they're usually the outsiders the different ones there's something wrong with them but there really isn't so I think the fact that more people have access to making media and, and reshaping these stories is just a reflection of that that you know not for everybody this creature or this legend is a bad thing it's just the person that had access to making the media or sharing those stories was in a negative way as Orkidi, I think, was saying, they're flexible, right? Because they're transgressive in a lot of ways, but also they fall outside of the category of society and like norms. So in thinking about like 
protectors and like monsters that are protectors. I always think about one of my favorite ones is El Silbon. I really, I really like El Silbon. I don't know who suggested that or if a, if like a fan suggested it. I don't even remember how it came about. But that El Silbon is not really a protector per se, but he goes after really bad men. Goes after bad men, domestic abusers, drunks, all that kind of, you know, rabble that you don't want in your society, essentially, especially as women. He just takes so many, you know, sucks out all their bones and... <laughs> As you do. As you do, right? Uh, and puts it in his little sack of bones along with all the other bad men. And they all get to live together happily ever after, I guess. <laughs> but it's great. He's taken them out of society. And yeah, to me, he's a hero in that way. Um, if you can call a giant, monstrous man who is like nine, ten, you know, feet tall, a hero. <laughs> You can find many more spooky stories, deep dive research, and laughter at monstrouspodcast.com. There's the signpost up ahead. More Arizona Spotlight is right after this break. Welcome back to this special Haunted Halloween Arizona Spotlight. The desert around us is vast. It's an emptiness that somehow asks to be filled. We all know that there are a multitude of creatures who live in the desert that will almost never be seen. The student storytellers from the Youth Center at Literacy Connects created their own mythical creatures of the Southwest. Next, Sophia, age 11, will tell us about the one she discovered. Hi, my name is Sophia. I'm 11 years old, and I'm here to tell you about my mythical creature, an axodoggle. An axodoggle is born a mammal and an amphibian, so it does come from an egg, but not all times. Some axodoggles are born like a mammal, others born from an egg. Axodoggles make squeaky yips and are very friendly and cuddly. But enjoy hunting and can swim super fast to hunt underwater. Axodoggle's favorite food are ice cream sandwiches with extra chocolate chunks. If you eat two ice cream sandwiches in front of it and not share, it will die immediately, even though it's immortal. 
It can also murder you with its cuteness or heal you with it. Depends on his mood. Axodoggle. That was 11-year-old Sophia, part of the Youth Center at Literacy Connects. Kids can share their creativity at literacyconnects.org. Have you ever wanted to just get lost? To test your wits against time and nature? Or maybe see who in your family will come unglued first as they confront feelings of panic and dread? Leah Britton visited a place where many lost souls may roam. I took a trip to Apple Annie's Orchard in Wilcox, Arizona to visit their corn maze. There, I spoke to Mandy Kirkendall, director of fun. You can come out, enjoy the day, and pick pumpkins. On the weekends, we offer hay rides out to the pumpkin patch. If you come during the week, you'd walk out. And we have our corn maze that's open every day through October. We have three different mazes in one. We have a, um, an easy, intermediate, and challenge maze. So you can decide how lost you want to get, whether you want to spend 10 minutes or an hour in the maze. You can choose which one you want. And it's just fun to watch people come through, and they're so excited when they come out and they've found their way out of the maze. And it's really a kind of a team-building thing for families and friends. <laughs> My name is David Featherston, and... My name is Kavika Freeman. Just, you know, enjoying Alpanis, uh, doing the car maze, all that, all that fun stuff. The hard, the, one. Hard one. the hard one. The hard one. I ain't gonna lie, it was pretty hard, so it, it wasn't too easy. Was... You gotta do what you gotta do, you know what I'm saying? We did the maze, and then we also picked apples and pumpkins. Had to show the young one a little bit, the Alpanis and whatnot. <laughs> Hi, I'm Isabel. I am 20 years old, and I come to the Apple Annie's pumpkin patch just for fun with the family. Hi, uh, I'm Gabby. I'm 23 years old. Uh, we're actually from Tucson, Arizona today, so we made not too long of a drive. But like my sister said, just to enjoy a day here with family. I haven't been here since I was like 14 years old, so I'm excited to just get into the fall spirit and celebrate one of the best months. Actually, we were really excited for the corn maze and just to get the pumpkins. Just the experience in general, I think we really enjoy. It's just like a great place to make memories for all ages. Well, I'm Natalie. I'm Brian. We picked out some produce, came to the corn maze. Uh, she got lost, I was fine. <laughs> right, right, right. We did the challenging one. Uh, it was challenging. <laughs> it was pretty good, it was, it was, it was a good challenge. We, we, we saw a lot of people going around in circles and that was, that was fun to watch them. Fortunately, not too many. We did have someone um, a couple of weeks ago that got really lost in the maze and it was during the week and um, there weren't a lot of other people in there. A lot of times you can follow someone else to get out, but they called us and we were able to come in and find them. But if you come in during the week, we do get your name and phone number before you go in so we can get a hold of you if, if, if you do get lost or don't get out before closing time. But during the weekends, when it's a lot busier, we have, they're called our corn cops and they go through the maze periodically every little bit and sweep and make sure nobody's panicking and everyone's doing good. I'm Wade, I'm 16 and I work here at Apple Annie's and I'm a corn cop for the maze. Well we just like enforce the rules of the maze and help people if they are lost. There's a couple times when people call the barn and we have to come and get people from the maze. I have memorized the challenge maze but not the intermediate yet though. You're not supposed to cut through corn, you're supposed to stay on the path. No throwing corn, no pets, like, no running, yeah. Do people follow the rules? For the most part, yeah. Each year, 
Apple Annie's unveils a new design for their corn maze that can only be seen from above. This year, the maze design highlights various things to do in Wilcox, such as wine tasting, bird watching, ranching, and hiking. It's a 12 and a half acre maze, so big canvas to work with there. Every year we uh, get together and decide what we want our theme to be. And we plant the corn here, then when it's about six inches tall, somebody comes out from the company and um, uses GPS and a backpack and they walk around and spray this field for two days and then magically it grows just like the picture. Hi, I'm Vanessa. This is Marco Antonio Santana, Trex, Santos, Elia, Caroline, <laughs> and my little chicken. <laughs> We're going through mazes, <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then when we got into the easy one, we got lost. Yeah, and it took forever, like almost an hour, I think. <laughs> <laughs> From Wilcox, Arizona, this is Leah Britton. Happy Halloween! <laughs> Throughout this show, we've heard many stories about restless spirits. Regardless of what form you believe spirits may take, it's part of many traditions that we try to be at peace with them. Here is an essay. My name is Anna Augustowska, and I'm from Wrocław, Poland. I first came to Tucson in 2008 to visit a family friend. I remember it clearly. It was late October, and my friend from Tucson said, since it's your first time in the U.S., and it's this time of the year, you should go and see how we celebrate the Day of the Dead. Still jet-lagged and under cultural shock, I went to the All Souls procession. There, I saw a variety of people celebrating and mourning the lives of their loved ones at the same time. The idea of celebrating death surprised me as much as their costumes and artifacts. I recall one woman who had a skeleton painted over her belly she was, I think, six months pregnant. I came up to her and asked, aren't you superstitious? I'm not, she said. This will bring good luck. The events from Tucson remind me of how different the celebration of those who passed is in my home country, Poland. Our observance is neither loud nor colorful, but it does bring people together as the All Souls procession does. In Slavic tradition, both days, All Saints and All Souls Day, happens every year on the first and second day of November. They are devoted in particular to praying for the souls. On those days, Polish cemeteries are full of people who come to visit the graves of their loved ones. The candles are lit and the flowers are placed. People talk about those who passed and how their passing changed their lives. Two years ago, I lost my mother. She died of cancer. If I were still there in Poland, I would go visit her grave today. My father sent me a picture of it the other day. He put flowers and candles. It looks beautiful. Although I live in Tucson now, I will connect with her this year from the All Souls procession. I may not be ready to carry her photo, nor wear a skeleton costume myself, but since souls don't recognize borders or distance, I know she will be there with me. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Anna Augustowska. Thank you for listening to the 14th annual Haunted Halloween Arizona Spotlight. 
on behalf of engineer Jim Blackwood, plus contributors Adiba Nelson, Samantha Larned, Leah Britton, Anna Augustowska, lovable, kindly old Dr. Scar, and everything that goes bump in the desert night. This is Mark McLemore, wishing everyone a very safe and very scary Halloween. <laughs> Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.